it's good to be with you all. Michelle uh, is still in Phoenix, um, and then I'm going to head back this afternoon. We've got, it's really exciting, we've got um, the Strong Church Conference happening at um, Dream City Church in, in Arizona, and they're expecting 1,800 pastors from around the country. Uh, it's really exciting, so yeah. And, and as you uh, recall, we, sh- we had a, a viewing of Letter to the American Church, Eric Metaxas' movie that was produced by two members of our congregation. And tragically, what's occurred is um, there's a video that's gone out with an accusation in regards to Eric being um, against pre-trib, pre-millennial eschatology. And so churches have canceled viewings of the movie uh, based on a video you're gonna see this, this afternoon which is tragic and it's a little upsetting because um, what the pastor's referring to is a podcast Eric did with an individual who wrote a book and uh, Eric doesn't attack pre-trib, pre-millennial eschatology. He attacks those that hold to pre-trib, pre-millennial and use it as escape mentality where they don't engage in the public square. Uh, that's, and that doesn't reflect anyone like Jack Hibbs, who's pre-trib, pre-millennial. Me, I'm pre-trib, pre-millennial. Uh, even the pastor who's accusing um, uh, Eric of this is, I consider him a friend. And, and he is active in his community in Bakersfield. Um, and, and in context, it's, it's kind of sad. I mean, the body of Christ divides itself, it's, it, and it, it's not necessary. Um, and we, we shouldn't try to elevate uh, ourselves over the expense of someone else. And I'm gonna cover it today because I have great respect for both these men. And um, I think the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And, and he, he brings division. The Bible commands us to, to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so typically I, I teach a passage out of our, um, our anchored reading series. And I've really enjoyed going through the book of Mark afresh and also going through the book of Exodus. And I was thinking of going through some of the plagues. I thought that'd be kind of fun. Um, but, but, but last night, <clears throat> and I've, I've pondered a number of topics that I wanted to talk, talk on. One in particular I was actually gonna preach on was the, the, the Syrophoenician woman with a demon-possessed daughter that worshiped the Lord with three words saying, Lord, help me. And it, it's, a, it's a fascinating passage. I was gonna teach on that. But last night, driving in from Phoenix, it was late, and I got about one o'clock, I was with my daughter, and I had her listen to a video that I was struggling over because a very dear friend of mine, Michael Chon, who is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Buckeye, and that's where I was last Sunday, I was preaching in his church, and he was concerned over this video because a number of Calvary Chapel pastors have rejected wanting to see a letter to the American church based on this video and, and Michael said, you know, I went and listened to the podcast that Eric did with this individual, and, it's, and, and what the pastor's saying is out of context, and, and it, just, it just seems so divisive. And I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna listen to both of them. So I listened to the one coming in, and then and when I got home, I listened to the other one. And I, I woke up this morning, having taken notes in the drive, and then uh, last night, I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna address this for the sake of our congregation and the, for the sake of the body of Christ um, across the country. And I, I pray it ministers to you. Uh, folks in the first service, um, they didn't fall asleep. They seemed to like it. They didn't complain. So I pray you do the same. Uh, but we will cover a passage to be kind of our anchor. And it's gonna be in Galatians chapter three. So if you have a Bible, open up to Galatians three. If you don't, these folks who have been patiently waiting through my long introduction, holding these 
stacks of Bibles. They'll hand you a Bible if you raise your hand. And if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to keep that one. Galatians chapter 3. The Apostle Paul wrote Galatians. And he, um, he was set to be one of the lead Pharisees. And so he's highly educated in the Jewish law. And when he gives his heart to the Lord, he becomes a Christian. The ones that uh, he used to kill, he, he, he martyred Christians. And he, he, he didn't kill them personally, but he held the cloaks uh, of the ones who did the killing. And um, he persecuted Christians to have them killed. And what's fascinating about Christianity is when Paul arrived in heaven, you know who was cheering the loudest? Those that had been killed by him. They were thrilled that he had come to Christ. That's Christendom. You, you lay your life down that others would know the Lord and sacrifice yourself. And that's what the apostle Paul did. And, and he, was, he was brutalized and beaten and suffered tribulation, um, massive tribulation. And when he wrote the book of Galatians, uh, he, he writes in the book of Galatians, he says, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. He wrote, he wrote Galatians while he was in prison, which is fascinating. He writes those words, stand fast therefore in the liberty for which Christ has set you free. Yes. Is it time to be fed yet? You're waiting at the chains and the gates for your food. Apostle Paul, though he was behind bars, was the freest man in that prison because he was there standing in defense of the truth. He wasn't afraid of the consequences of truth. He, he was there willingly and he counted it all joy. There'd be times where he and Silas and others would be singing and the prison gates would be blown open and, and that's what they do. And, and the the Roman centurions, many believe, Paul, no one ever went and started a church in Rome, yet Paul writes a letter to the church in Rome. That's the book of Romans. And you're like, well, who started the church in Rome? It, many believe that it was the Romans that were stationed in, in, in Israel that, that witnessed all these things and came to Christ. And others believe it was Romans that had been chained to Paul in, in the three-hour shifts that they would, they would chain the guards to him. And, and Paul's like, I got a captive audience. How you fellas doing? How you doing? We're going to go through the gospel again. Remember last night? We're going to do it again. And he had a, he had a, he had a profound legal mind. And, and then he, he comes to this place, a man who had endured tribulation, a man who loved the Lord, a man who had given his life. And one more fascinating aspect about Paul in the book of Acts, uh, you see the Apostle Paul, Acts 23, 24. He is, he's, he's applying his, listen, he's applying his Roman citizenship. He's invoking his Roman citizenship. He knows Roman citizenship better than Americans know American citizenship. He's legally standing upon what his rights are as a Roman citizen. You know what that makes him? A Christian nationalist. <laughs> How awful. He invoked his Roman citizenship. You know who else is a Christian nationalist? Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. 
but we get labeled that and we, we cower. And there's another term that's, that's being floated in Christendom. And, and it's a secular left mantra, label, that the church itself has embraced to use against its own people. It's, it's called dominionist. Now, there were, there were Gary North and Rush Dooney. Uh, Rush Dooney was a minister, I think Presbyterian minister in the 50s. He wrote a book, and, and he would be considered a, a hard dominionist, and his, his son-in-law, Gary North, followed in his footsteps. And it's this, this idea that you would take Christian morality and impose it upon the general population. Like in, in Islam, you, you impose Sharia law. Well, that's not necessarily the way it works. You see, Islam is a political structure disguised as a religion. It's, it's Sharia law. And if you don't adhere to it, we kill you. In Christendom, um, this, the, our founders, our founders were dominionists. We're going to cover that momentarily, and I'll show you why. And, and they, they present this in our birth certificate. Four times God is listed in our birth certificate, and you're going to see this. But I, I bring all of this out because Pastor uh, Holdhouse accuses Eric of being a dominionist. And, and there's a couple of other things that are stated. It's, it's in, insinuated that that the man he's with, uh, Benjamin Thomas, who's written the book that they're reviewing in this podcast, is a liar. And that, and that um, Eric is a heretic. That, that, those are big accusations. And it's sad because I, I know Pastor Holdhouse to be a reasonable man. And, and I know that if he sat down with Eric, he'd really like him. And so I, I wanted to take time to go over this with you so that you're better equipped and hopefully the message can get out that others will be able to hear it and we can heal this rift in the body of Christ. So we're gonna take a look at Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul wrote. Would you please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord? Apostle Paul writes, beginning at verse 19, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our teacher, our guardian, to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's true. And Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth. May man decrease that your spirit might increase. Lord, we do seek to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Lord, as it's possible with us to live at peace with all men, 
I pray for a healing in the rift between Pastor Holdhouse and Eric. I pray, Lord, that you would do a mighty work that would unify Christians in this nation, that there'd be an awakening, that we wouldn't do the work of the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, who seeks to divide, but we would endeavor for unity. We'd be patient and long-suffering. We would apply Matthew 18, that we would win our brother. God, please, I pray that you would do this in the coming days, that your bride, a multifaceted diamond, sparkling with radiance, would be seen by all and give glory to you, Father. Thank you for this day. Thank you for those who are present. Thank you for folks online who call this place home, though they've never had the chance to give a brotherly hug and encourage one another in person. I think of the couple that was supposed to come this weekend, but is sick, but so wanted to visit the church they've attended online and come and meet some of the pastors and the staff. Lord, I pray healing for them. Lord, thank you for your blessing upon this fellowship that resides all through the nation in this world. We just commit this to you now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, if you would. Do you think abortion should be illegal? Now, there wasn't a resounding answer to that question in the room, because it's divisive, isn't it? Some of you, your Christian belief is that it's murder. I believe it is. Some of you say, well, pastor, that's a little harsh. What do we do in those cases? We, We debate. We seek to come to an understanding. We debate truth. And I would say to you, why? Why should you be able to take the life of that child? Well, it's not a child. Okay, then what is it? And, and, and if it's not a child, why? You say, well, it's too small. Just blob of tissue. I say, well, when the egg and the sperm meet, it's a zygote, a unique DNA, unlike any other human being on the face of the earth that ever has been or ever will be. Everything necessary for that to mature into the fullness of what you see standing in front of you um, is present. But you're telling me because it's so small in its infancy that it's not a human being. So you're telling me, I guess logically, that a smaller person is less valuable than a larger person. Well, no, no, no. It's level of development. It's not fully developed. Okay. So you're telling me that somebody who's an adolescent is not as valuable as a fully grown adult. No, 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 no. It's, it's, it, it's the environment. It's, it's in its mother's womb. So I'm less valuable here in the church than I am at home. It's its degree of dependency. It's dependent on the mother. I understand that. So someone who's dependent on oxygen or insulin is less valuable? They're not human? See, this is called debating and seeking truth. The pursuit of truth. And that's why you create a legislature and a bicameral legislature. And that's why you have people who learn how to logically pursue truth. But what happens is if you don't like where it's going... You're not in pursuit of truth. You just want what you want. And you say, you, you yell at them and you say, back away, this is my safe space. I'm tired of debating. I want what I want and I don't need to hear you. 
So what happens in that case is there's no absolutes. And there's no debating in pursuit of truth because we don't believe in absolute truth, which is now prevalent in society. But our founders who established this nation that's now almost come 2027 will be 200, or, uh, 2026, excuse me, will be 250 years old. Our founders said we hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, endowed by their creator. Ha, whoa, you're a dominionist. The founders are dominionists. They're, they're, they're saying, they're, they're giving a, a, a biblical worldview that there's a God who governs in the affairs of men and that rights don't come from the rulers, but they come from a God. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator, not tors. Tor. With certain inalienable rights, among those being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So they're infusing Christian doctrine into the government. That would make them a dominionist by the definition of the left and by many Christians today. And if you say that abortion is wrong, are you allowed to debate that position and establish laws to prohibit it? We're all kind of hesitant on that because we're dealing with an entire generation who's grown up with um, abortion on demand. However, the most pro-life segment of America today are those 18 and younger because of the three-dimensional ultrasound and this understanding of life. Fastest growing pro-life segment of America. My generation and a bit below, we're the ones who are very pro-choice. They go, who, who's choice? Well, it's, it's healthcare. What part of health is it when you take a human life? Again, it's not a human being. Then let's discuss that and debate that. No, there's no discussion. It's law. By whose standard? Says who? You see where this goes? Now, how do you, how do you establish a law? You, you can't legislate morality. Every law that you make is based on someone's morality. Yes? Civil law, apart from moral law, is enslavement. It's a weapon to enslave. It's arbitrary. The rulers and the elite get to make the rules, and you get to be the saddle they ride on. And, and, then, and then you invoke a constitutional republic in the 6,000 years of recorded history that's been the freest nation on the face of the earth that declares our rights don't come from man, they come from God. And government's role is to protect those rights. And they gave us the very first of the, of the 10 amendments in the Bill of Rights and the first 16 words of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion nor prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That's a dominionist. Giving mankind the ability to invoke their convictions in the realm of government? Are you, a, is, is this a theocracy now? No, it's not a theocracy, it's a constitutional republic. 
We have a bicameral legislature where we debate, unlike Sharia law, where if you don't adhere, you die. But we come to a, a, a place where we debate truth. But when you shut down free speech, that's called censorship. Censorship must be applied if the lie is going to be put forward because the truth is never afraid of a lie, but the lie can't survive in the presence of truth. So you censor the truth in order to put forward the propaganda. That's why we have the freedom of speech. Where did that come from? Was it arbitrary? We just picked it out of the sky? Our founders, the number one book they quoted of all the books on the face of the earth was the Bible. And the number one book in the Bible they quoted was Deuteronomy, which was civil law that came from moral law. Why do I say all this? Why am I belaboring this on a video you've yet to see? Because the new label from the left to try to divide the body of Christ, and we're aiding and abetting them, is dominionism and Christian nationalism. They're, they're just statements to stifle any Christian participating in the public square. That's what it is. And we've turned it in, now we call it the body of Christ, we've turned it into an autoimmune disease. And by the way, there's no such thing as an autoimmune disease. The body doesn't attack itself. You've introduced something into the body that's teaching it to kill itself, i.e. Anyone? How, 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 when did we get peanut allergies? America was built on peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Now you can't even have peanuts on an airplane because somebody's gonna die of you know, anaphylactic. And is it, who, where did that come from? Who introduced that? How did that happen in our culture? And the body attacks itself. And they call it healthcare. We've never been sicker in all of our lives. And now they're introducing strains of a virus. Why, why are they doing that? Why are we using government dollars to allow them to create things that kill us? I, I'm off topic. <laughs> Thank you. The autoimmune disease within the body of Christ is concerning because we've allowed something to be introduced that's causing us to attack one another, and that's, that's, a, that's a secular mantra. In America, there are a number of topics in the evangelical church that the congregants in the evangelical church want their pastors to preach on. I'm going to cover it momentarily. You see... Um, I used to work for A.C. Nielsen, Nielsen data. We used to do projected data where you do a sampling of a portion of the population, you project that out on the entirety of the population, and you're accurate within three to five percentage points. Well, that's what polling does, and, you, and, and politicians pay for polling. And you, you want to see what moves, what moves the culture, what, what, where, where the heartbeat is of the people that you're seeking to represent. And there are sociological influencers within that, that community of people that move them and influence them. And the minute I use this term, I'm going to be labeled, get ready, the minute I use this term, I'm going to be labeled a dominionist. There are certain sociological areas that influence a culture. Come to think of it, there's seven of them. Are you, are you one of them? Se seven mountains? 
I don't pursue it along this idea of conquering seven mountains, but I do see in the sociological understanding of a, of a culture and a society having worked for A.C. Nielsen that you move a culture based on arts and entertainment. I mean, you, most of you in the room can finish this. Flintstones, meet the... I, okay, come on, stop now. That's been drilled into your brain. You'd be hard-pressed to quote scripture. You, couldn't, you can't do the Ten Commandments, but you can sing Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Arts entertainment, media. I, I drove with my daughter six hours from Phoenix. I probably said ten words to her in the entire drive. She's on Instagram. And I felt like I had to park the car to talk to her. DM her. But yeah, I'm, I'm exaggerating, but, but this, is, this is an influence of culture. We have influencers. That's what we call them, influencers that, that work in social media. Arts entertainment, media, business. Business moves people. What are, what are the brands that people want to wear? Politics, education, family, all of these things, religion. All of these things are cultural influences that move a society. And, and governments, the, the, the elite, the priestly class and the king class want to know what those are. Because they want to rule the masses. That's why Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and of Herod. He said that in our reading of the Anchored, Ser Anchored Series. I think it was Mark 8, beware of the leaven of Herod. The leaven is civil law apart from moral law. Oh, there you go again, wanting to impose your moral law. Well, well, stop. The moral law, according to Christendom, is the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. There's one God. Our founders even said that, endowed by our creator, singular. There's no idols. You don't bow down. You honor God. You don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Four. You honor the Sabbath day. Why do you think you get Sunday off and you get to go to church? Because they understood the power. So we used to have blue laws in the United States where the Sabbath would be honored. Businesses would remain closed. Where did that influence come from? Dominionists? Five, honor your mother and father. It'll go well with you and you'll live long in the land of which I've given you. That's the only commandment that comes with a promise. Families break down when they can separate the children from their parents. I, 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 I know I'm a biological male, but I really, I'm, 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 a, I'm a female. Sweetie, you're confused. No, 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 my teacher said you'd say that, and you, you are part of the problem. And now you're separated, and the state gets to own your child. Is that honoring your mother and father? That's divisive. We're doing their work for them. Six. Don't murder. I don't need to be a Christian to understand that's a really good law. <laughs> but then when you take it to the point of the unborn, well, now you're messing with my body. Yeah, but it's not your body. There's a whole other DNA structure in there. That, 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 that decision was made back when you were don't commit adultery. Oh, now you're getting out of control. Yeah, there's only two in a marriage, not five. That's the seventh commandment. Well, I, 
fornication, adultery. I mean, you test drive a car before you buy it. Wait, a woman is a car? Well, that's not what I mean. I just, you know. It's the sanctity of marriage. It's this idea of, of, of a, a covenantal relationship. Where does that come from? Why do we have marriage laws in the United States? And then don't steal. I, my atheist neighbors, when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments, hang all the law of the prophets, am I a dominionist because I want to apply the moral law to protect my atheist neighbor's property from theft? Let's debate the merit of the law. Tell me, listen, I, don't, don't, don't bear false witness, don't lie. Don't covet. Covet means you want something that's not yours. You don't want to work for it, but you want to take it. That doesn't work. But you're saying that those, that moral law, which is emblazoned on the facade of the Supreme Court building in Washington, D.C., is archaic, and that's dominionism. And you're not allowed to infuse that into my life. All right, well, we're in a season right now where it's already pretty much removed, and I'd like to debate the merits of who now is influencing the culture, which is a secular progressive left. And I really, I just don't think it's working. It just doesn't look like it's getting better. I mean, our kids don't know what gender they are. And you don't even know what to tell them. And you're, you're offering them hormone blockers that you wouldn't even give to a serial rapist in prison because you call it inhumane. And you're telling me that's compassion? That's just lazy. And, and who's driving that? What's the influencer? Is it business? Is it big pharma? They're getting all kinds of money doing freaky surgery on children and mutilating their bodies. Who's making the money on that? Is it compassion? Is, is, it, is it good business sense to shutter small businesses because they're non-essential? And then, and then the medical apartheid to demand that people take an experimental mRNA and you watch this transference of wealth, is, is, are those the moral laws you want applied? And you're telling me that if I, if I even dare, dare to debate the merits of the moral law of the absolutes of truth, that the label dominionist in the body of Christ, you're going to attack me? It's no wonder we're so unsuccessful in this season of Christendom and having any positive effect whatsoever on this nation. It's tragic. And here I saw the division front and center and I, I, it just stopped me in my tracks and I wanted to discuss it this morning. I wanna show you the video. This is Brandon Holdhouse, pastor at Rock Harbor Church in Bakersfield, and he's talking about a podcast that Eric Metaxas did with a man named Benjamin Thomas, and take a look at it, and I'm not gonna interrupt it until I stop the video, and we don't have a lot of time for the entirety of it, but I'm gonna give you the QR code, so in the QR code, you just take your phone, you can take a picture of it, and it'll give you the link to the thing that you can watch in its entirety, and you can also, I'll give you a QR code to link 
to Eric's podcast so you can see that in its entirety because Pastor Holdhouse takes snippets of it. If you want to see both in their entirety and understand it completely, you'll, that'll, that'll be wise to do. Amen? Yeah. All right, here's the video. Take a look. All right. So in our current events, what we want to tackle tonight is uh, the ongoing attack on uh, the rapture that we, we constantly see, the ongoing attack on uh, um, dispensationalism. And one of the things I want to make a statement before we get into this is the devil always attacks that which is true. He doesn't attack that which is a, a lie. He always attacks that which is true. And what I typically find out with people like Eric Metaxas or anyone else like this Benjamin Thomas or whatever, they go on the rampage, they go on an attack, and they're not willing to be civil about it. They're willing, they're, they're just, you know, they can't just say we agree to disagree. They go on the offensive and the attack. And uh, I can tell you this, after, after what you're going to hear from Eric Metaxas and this guy, especially Eric, he's a, a prominent figure, and he's been at churches like Jack Hibbs' church and other pre-trib, pre-millennial churches, and now he shoots his mouth off like this, he's going to lose all credibility. No one's ever going to invite him again. And I think at this point, Eric Metaxas has lost all credibility in my book. And I'll show you why, because he went somewhere where you don't go. Uh, not the fact that he, he doesn't, you know, uh, uh, you know he could disagree, we could disagree about the rapture, and that's fine. But it's when you go on the offensive and the attack and say it's a doctrine of Satan, it's a doctrine of hell, and it's bad theology, now we got another problem now. Now, now you're on a different level now. We're not agreeing to disagree. You're on a, 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 almost a false teacher level at that point in time. So anyway, I wanted to, to bring this up because this is part of the growing apostasy in the church. And the fact that true doctrine will always be attacked and false doctrine will all be, uh, always be peddled by guys like this or anyone else. So this is part of the scenario that we're having to deal with. So apostasy in the church. So anyway, he's interviewing this guy, Benjamin Thomas. I've never heard the guy uh, from Adam uh, before. Um, but anyway, he wrote a book, and I guess anyone can write a book these days. Uh, you can self-publish or whatever. And so um, they go on attacking the rapture doctrine. So the first thing, let's deal with the first clip, and then I'll go from clip to clip and go through all of this with you, okay? And uh, for me... Um there came a point where I really started to recognize how the world really worked and behind the scenes, the power structures that, you know, frankly had done a really good job of, I think, managing our world for the enemy's team. And uh, frankly, it's kind of like kind of like the Rhino Republican Party, a lot like the Rhino Republican. But I mean, it's Party. exactly like that, right? Like you, you kind of um, anyway, I don't want to step on your uh, your words, but you're you're saying that we had all this keeps coming up over and over and over in various disciplines so not just end time stuff and theology but this idea that there's this consensus we all buy into the consensus we think everybody on the team all the good guys agree on this consensus and then something happens that makes you say i wonder if we have missed something and it seems like you that's what happened to you 
Well, that's absolutely right. I mean, I was poking along. A friend of mine came to my house in, in Texas at the time and sort of educated me on how the world really worked. And honestly, Eric, it scared me. Uh, when I understood how organized our enemy really was, it really scared me. I was frightened. And frankly, armed with only my teaching from my evangelical church upbringing, which was pretty much could be summarized in, yeah, things get really bad, and then one day we just get rescued. And so that was how I was brought up. That was what I was taught. And so when I heard, um, when I was educated, if you will, on how the world really worked, I got into fear, frankly. I, I mean, I thought, well, do we get rescued, you know, during the bad stuff or at the end of the bad stuff? Look, okay, you tell me the problems that you just heard from that guy. Number one, I was afraid, okay? Who told him this information of how the world works? God, Jesus, the Bible, what did he say? A friend came over to his house and told him how the world works. A friend told me how the world works. I'm sorry, uh, um, that, that's, that right there is insane. Um, this tells you how the world works. So it, when, you start in, when you start spotting false teachers, false prophets, whatever, notice who their source material is. For him, it's some dude that came to his house instead of the word of God. And notice the reaction that the dude told him how the world works and it made him afraid. Okay? Now, now what I will say later on, as you'll see in, in the, uh, the videos, is that he must have ran into a dominionist Christian because I can tell by the, what, what, what he concludes all of it. What they're worried about is the deep state, Okay? And the dominionists are very worried about the deep state as well. But the dominionists are different than us. The dominionists are trying to bring the kingdom of God without Jesus. They're trying to Christianize the United States without the second coming. Okay? And, and I'll get into that in just a bit. Uh, we are not dominionists. We are evangelicals that believe that Christ has to come back and establish the kingdom. And when he does that, then the world will work. Okay? But the world is not going to work by just getting uh, uh, Christians into governmental positions and that will Christianize the whole world and then we can uh, uh, hand over the world to Jesus when he comes back after we've Christianized the world. That's insane, okay? But that's dominionism, okay? That's dominionism and that's what these two uh, uh, individual characters are, 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 are hunting for right now, but... So, red flag, okay? We got the red flag. Let's, con let's continue to read the red flags. What a, Hal Lindsey's the late great planet Earth, whatever, that the Antichrist is going to come. It's going to be sick, bad, horrible. Uh, the saints get raptured out of here. Um, that's kind of the narrative that is not challenged very much. And what is that called? That's called a pre-trib rapture. Well, it's called... Uh dispensationalism, you know, there's a lot of words for it. Uh, but actually it's, I call it the rescue rapture. It, we get rescued from uh, the grips of Satan who's about to destroy us with the Antichrist. And that's generally what we've been taught for a long, long time. 
Implying what? That we've been told wrong. Okay? So let's unpack that a little bit. What, what did he just say? If he's talking to you and he told you this, that, you know, we've been all taught this and this is, this is the consensus and it's never been attacked. Let me tell you, I'm on the front lines of getting attacked all the time for the, for the proper view. There, there, there's no consensus. They hate us for our view. The rest of Christendom hates premillennialism and pre-tribulationalism. I'm sorry. We're, we're on the other end of that. No one ever attacks all millennialism. No one ever attacks post-millennialism. No one ever attacks preterism. They just get a pass. It's the pre-tribbers and the premillennials that are always being attacked. So I don't know what they're talking about. But again, it's called the straw man argument. And you can, you can make a straw man argument, say that this is happening, and then you knock it down. That's what they just did. Both Eric Metaxas knows better, and so does this guy who wrote this book. It is not the consensus. It is the most attacked view out there, in essence. But anyway, they're implying that, well, we've just been bamboozled. It's been all wrong. And now I have new information that I want to give everybody and correct everybody on this. Let's continue on. Okay, and so you and I talked about this, and one of the downsides of that view, and I have talked about this a lot from, from a different perspective, but what it makes a lot of Christians do is say, I don't give a darn about this world. That's not biblical, folks. You're supposed to give a darn about this world. Jesus saves you uh, and fills you with the Holy Spirit so you can be uh, living out his will and his power in this world for his purposes in this world. But if you believe it's all gonna go to heck in a handbasket, and I'm going to get raptured out of here. The, the memo is, so therefore, don't do anything. It's all going to burn. It's all going to burn. So you know what? I'm just going to, we're going to have my quiet time. I'm going to have a nice time with the Lord on Sundays, and I'm not going to do anything because I'm out of here. That uh, is not biblical. It's not only biblical, but who's stating that? Because nobody in the pre-trib, premillennial camp has ever made that statement. It's all going to Hades in a handbasket. Uh, l- 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 let's 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 uh, kick back and do nothing. Put on the white sheets and not do and, and let it go all to pot. No one has ever made that statement. Nor does our theology even teach that. Our theology would teach that you have to be salt and light all the way to the very end. That you have to delay the decay. That you have to be a, 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 a truth teller and a watcher on the wall and pushing back and, and engaged in the culture. But he's making a straw man argument saying those who hold this premillennial dispensational mentality and, and are hoping that they get rescued by Jesus, they just sit back and don't do anything and let everything burn up because of their mentality. I don't have that mentality. Do you have that mentality? We're, so you understand... That's there's, there's so much more I want you to hear, but I, I got to comment, so. I'm going to give you the link so you can watch it on your own. Uh, for those of you going, what is pre-trib, what's pre-millennial, what's, you know, post-trib, all-trib, pan-trib, it all pans out in the end. It's a, it's a view of the end times. For time to exist, there needs to be a beginning and an end. How is it all going to end? How is it going to wrap up? And, and there's different views in Christendom as to the, the end times. There's, there's post-trib, uh, um, uh, pre-trib, and, and, and I happen to be pre-trib, pre-millennial, which means 
Um, I will be, we will, Christians will be removed before the tribulation, which is a seven-year period. I'll cover that momentarily. Premillennial, the thousand-year reign of Christ. Um, the, these are all different views. As I said before, I'm pre-trib, premillennial, just like Pastor Holdhouse, uh, like Pastor Jack Hibbs, Pastor Gary at Cornerstone Church in Leesburg, Virginia. Um, and and the, the, the sadness to me is Pastor Holdhouse thinks that Eric is attacking him. Eric is commending him because he's pre-trib, pre-millennial, but he's engaged in the public square. Pastor Holdhouse's church participates in their local elections. He's, he's a good man that way. I've spoken in his church. I'm, I'm, he was one of the guys that stayed open during the pandemic. Eric would love this guy. Uh, but, but Pastor Holdhouse's passion for his eschatology um, has translated into um, an unfair... Uh, view of Eric. I, that's, that's my estimation at this point. Um, so here is the YouTube with Eric Metaxas, uh, the, uh, excuse me, with Pastor Holdhouse, and then this is the podcast, the original podcast that Pastor Holdhouse is taking clips from. You need to watch both of them. All right, so that being said, in the body of Christ, um, you know, having worked for A.C. Nielsen, when you do projected data, in our congregation um, attends uh, George Barna, Barna Research. He's come a number of times. I don't think he's, he wasn't in the first service, usually is. He and his wife come to church. And um, George worked with David Barton, who is considered a dominionist, as is George Barna. The secular left has labeled them as dominionists. Um, they've done historical work uh, by our founders, all cited source material, original documentation. But George Barna does polling, and he did polling on the evangelical church in America. And interestingly enough, the Pew Research, Pew Research, which is not a conservative organization, said there's 65 to 85 million self-professing evangelical Christians in America. But of the 65 to 85 million, only half of those are registered to vote. And of the half that are registered to vote, only half of those vote in a presidential election. And 11% in a non-presidential election. So Pastor Holdhouse is saying, I've never seen apathy in the body of Christ as a result of that eschatology. The main eschatology in America, which constitutes 45% of all evangelical churches, is pre-trib, pre-millennial dispensationalist. It's the lion's share in the body of Christ. And, and that, that is the worst voting block in America because of apathy. So maybe he isn't saying that it's all going to go to hell in a handbag. His church is saying, ours isn't saying it, neither is Jack Hibbs's. But it's evident that it's occurring that there's apathy in the body of Christ in regards to the public square. Take a look at Calvary chapels themselves that started in 1968 with pre-trib, pre-millennial eschatology and evangelism. We preach the gospel. Every eschatology comes with an asset and a liability. The asset for pre-trib is evangelism. I've been to more prophecy conferences than the Pope has appointments. <laughs> and, and I can tell you what Pastor Holdhouse said. Maybe he's never heard anyone state what Eric said. I have. And, and later, he's, uh, Pastor Holdhouse is going to go on and say, oh, he said a guy. And he's insinuating that he's lying and making it up. I can say a guy. I can say a, a gal. I'm not going to invoke their name in a public podcast without applying Matthew 18. 
It's just not fair to the individual. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says, I know a guy who was caught up into the third heaven. Now, he may be saying it's himself or something, but he's doing the same thing. You can't insinuate he's a liar. The Bible says love hopes all things. Pastor Holdhouse knows better. He's a good man. And and, and Eric's not a liar. And I I don't believe Benjamin Thomas is either. What they're saying is don't use your eschatology as justification for apathy. Pastor Holdhouse is not guilty of that. But a large portion of the body of Christ is. Again, case in point, Calvary Chapels started in 1968. Right here in California, Reagan was governor. We had the fifth largest GDP. We were the state of the future. We were red. And then all the hippies showed up. And they they were awash on the shores of California and up in San Francisco because they had checked out of the church and into Eastern religions and experimental drug use and all of their classmates were dying in hamlets of the names we couldn't pronounce in in a country called Vietnam that we didn't even know existed 10 years earlier. And they're disillusioned because their political leaders had all been murdered. Bobby Kennedy, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King. And they're disillusioned and, and lost. And they, they, they end up awash on the shores of California. And Chuck and Kay reach out to them. And they, they're so burned out on politics, Chuck and Kay avoided politics. They just taught the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And they were pre-trib, pre-millennial, and Chuck believed he was going to see the rapture in his lifetime. He was convinced of it. And there'd be prophecy conferences, of many of which I attended. And yes, Pastor Holdhouse, I did hear things like uh, fly or fry, get right or get left, turn or burn. Uh, The next thing on God's day planner is the rapture. Um, The house is on fire, get the kids out. That's the mindset. Don't build anything lasting it, 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 and, the, and the asset for this type of eschatology is evangelism. You've got you to gotta preach the gospel to everybody you can find because you're running out of time. And that's why we experience, are you ready for this? That's why Calvary Chapel's experienced 10,000% growth. But you know what we didn't do in those 55 plus years? We didn't build anything lasting because we were so temporal that he's coming any minute. Now, I'm ex- I, I, I love expecting the soon return of Christ. When he comes, he's gonna find me preaching a storm and living with reckless abandon for his glory. And I'm, I just wish he had come a little earlier. <laughs> he can come now. I'm ready. I'm ready, my family's ready. My, my congregation's ready. But in the meantime, Jesus said, occupy until, oh, occupy, there you go again with that, you dominionist. Occupy until I come, we got work to do. Well, the law doesn't save and politics is dirty. So's the church, what's your point? We're, we're called, Jesus said the two great commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, love your neighbors yourself. On those two commandments, hang all the law of the prophets. I love my neighbor, I love my atheist neighbor. I'm going to contend that their private property is not stolen I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pray for the protection of their free speech to, to stand in opposition to me to hold up signs and protest what I'm doing. I'm, I'm doing this so that your freedom of speech to protest me is protected. That's America. 
And so with this Pew Research, 65 to 85 million evangelical Christians that have a, were the worst voting block in America, worst voting block in America, complete apathy, and the largest portion of, of eschatology, we represent the lion's share of the evangelical churches. And in those evangelical churches where the lion's share is dispensational, pre-trib, pre-millennial, and if you're getting bored with the topic, just, you know, it's like, Snoop, The congregants in those churches want their pastors, and this was done by George Barna, and, and they did the polling, projected it out, accurate within three to five percentage points. You know what the congregants want their pastors to preach on? Of these evangelical churches in America? 12 of them. Top 12 issues. Number one issue, abortion. Oh. There you go again with that dominionism. 91% of congregants want to know more about this. Beginning of life, right to life, contraception, adoption, unwed mothers. The second one is religious persecution and liberty. Our personal duty, our governmental duty, our church response, global conditions. Third is poverty, personal responsibility, government role, church role, homelessness, hunger, dependency. Cultural restoration, appropriate morals, law and order, defensible values and norms, self-government. This sounds like an infusion of Christian morality into a society. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's not demanding adherence, but we're contending for truth, and it's something that seems to work. And when you remove it, it doesn't seem to be doing all that well. Sexual identity, same-sex marriage, transgenderism, marriage. We, we, we've now added more LGBTQ+, and, and we come to a place, how many genders are there? And using the improper pronouns, you go to jail. Or, or, or you, you, get, you get in trouble. And you get to mutilate bodies. And, and biological males get to dominate female sports now. No biological females want to participate in men's sports. But biological males are killing it. I mean, we're, we're crushing it. The patriarchy's dominating. And where are the feminists? Where are you? What is a woman? What is a woman? They, they can't answer that. And for any woman in the room, that should upset you. That somebody who has a psychological condition is taking away the identity of, of who you are. That for them to exist, you, you can't be clearly defined. There's, there's no defining what a woman is now. A biological male is now a female. That biological male will never, ever, 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 ever be able to get pregnant. Ever. That makes me a dominionist. And you too. You're a mess. Yeah. And a comedian at that. Christian heritage, role of Christian faith in American history, church role in U.S. development, modern day relevance, role of government, biblical view, church-state relationship, bioethics, cloning, euthanasia, genetic engineering, the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. What, does the government have a right to inject me with some experimental mRNA and take away my ability to work? Something that they've created in a lab that's infected us? Where is the Christian ethic? Oh, there you go with your dominionism. 
in, in, in invoking your morality. You can't legislate morality. What? Every law ever written is somebody's morality. Islam, what is it? It seems to be dominating everywhere. So what is it? This is a secular definition of dominionism. Dominionism fundamentally opposes America's venerable tradition of church-state separation. In fact, dominionists deny the founders ever intended that separation in the first place. According to Frederick Clarkson, Senior Fellow for Religious Liberty at the nonprofit Social Justice Think Tank, Political Research Associates, Dominionists believe that Christians have a biblical mandate to control all earthly institutions, including government, until the second coming of Jesus. And that should worry all Texans, which is where he started to focus, because he can't stand Ted Cruz and uh, the um, Lieutenant Governor um, Dan Patrick. I baptized him. And now we have Christendom itself. This is the secular progressive left declaring dominionists. And now Pastor Holdhouse is declaring Eric to be a dominionist. And Benjamin Thomas, who wrote the book, because they're concerned that the eschatology of what they call a, what was the rapture? It was like a rescue rapture. That's what it was. Thanks for your help. Because they see people with the mindset of, you know, I'm just going to run up the credit cards and just wait for the Lord to come back. And no one's talking about that. I, Pastor Holdhouse, you, you can insinuate I'm a liar and question and doubt it, but I will sit with you personally and give you names and complete statements that were made by people who hold this that are also shepherds in the body of Christ. And, and that's, that's the truth. And, and just... It exists. The Calvary Chapel movement had 10,000% growth. And we avoided politics. We didn't want to be dominionists. As a matter of fact, the label dominionist comes to me from a number of Calvary Chapel pastors. And they say, we just preach the gospel. And, and, and that conversion of the human soul will transform culture. Calvary Chapels are very evangelistic. They... they they, they invite people to receive Christ every service. The Harvest Crusades with Greg Laurie. How has that affected this 10,000% growth, which is conversion growth? How's it affected the state of California where the lion's share of the 1,800 Calvary chapels around the world exists? From Van Nuys all the way to the Mexican border, there are more Calvary chapels than there are Dunkin' Donuts. So how has it changed the state of California? Because in 1968, when this all started, we had the fifth largest GDP. Reagan was governor. It was the state of the future. We now have the sixth largest GDP. We have the highest gas tax, sales tax, income tax, corporate tax. We lead the nation in debt. We're the authors of no-fault divorce, transgender bathroom bills, the most secular progressive sexual education curriculum ever devised, not put there by Christians who are participating in the public square, might I add. At the... Who's responsible for that? And you, you say the second progressive. No, Christians are responsible because you didn't participate. We had 10,000% growth. We preached the gospel. We saw converts. But no one contended for the welfare of their neighbor because they didn't want to be labeled a dominionist. Our founders would have been labeled dominionists. And here, here's one. Pastor Holdhouse, 
with 10,000% growth from a pre-trib, pre-millennial group of churches that exploded in California. Starting in 1968, 10,000% growth, Pastor Holdhouse. Why is it now, in 2024, when abortion was made legal in 1973, but long before that in California, why is it in California we lead the nation in abortion? It's been estimated that California, since its inception for killing babies in the womb, has aborted more children to date in the current population of Canada. And we harvest the organs. Pastor Holdhouse, where's the transformation that comes with that? We haven't participated in the public square. And, and Eric, Eric isn't attacking you, Pastor. Eric's attacking the folks that don't do what you do. They subscribe to what you subscribe, but they don't do what you do. Here's another one. Because we don't invest long-term, how many pre-trib, pre-millennial dispensationalists sit on the U.S. Supreme Court? Bupkis. That means zero. There's Catholics because Catholics educate their congregants. They have a long-term mindset to engage in the culture. We don't do anything lasting because our liability is nothing's long-term. Our asset is evangelism. I'm still pre-trib, pre-millennial, but I'm engaging in the public square. But Pastor Holdhouse, I, I would just encourage you to remember 1 Corinthians 13, 7 says, love bears all things, love believes all things, love hopes all things, and love endures all things. Pastor Holdhouse, I'd give you the benefit of the doubt. Eric would give you the benefit of the doubt. Give him and Benjamin Thomas the benefit of the doubt before you call them liars. The Apostle Paul commends us to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace in Ephesians 4. Again, this is where the Apostle Paul says, I know a guy. I know a dude in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or whether out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up in the... I'm not calling the Apostle Paul a liar because he didn't state the man's name even though he's probably referring to himself. That's not what we do in the body of Christ. Eric was saying, don't make eschatology your God. That's all he's saying. We have, to, we, we have to contend for the welfare of our neighbors. Now, pre-trib, pre-millennial, I want to go through this briefly. I've got just a couple minutes left. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, Pastor Holdhouse refers to this in his message. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, Pre-trib, the reason why Christians won't go through the tribulation is because it's double jeopardy. You can't be punished for the same crime twice for the same crime twice, right? And as it says in Romans, there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So why would we have to face the wrath of God? What is wrath? Wrath is judgment. Now Can a Christian suffer without being judged by God? 
Hello? Yes. Yeah. It's called a martyr. Yeah. Yeah. Here's some folks that suffered. These are Egyptian Coptic Christians on the shores of the Mediterranean as ISIS is preparing to behead 21 of them. And their blood would pour into the Mediterranean as a declaration to Europe and the Western world that Islam's coming for you. Is this the wrath of God upon these believers? No. Pastor, just because you're going through difficult times with those who are being judged by wrath and you're enduring the same struggle doesn't mean you're being judged. It just means our lives are not our own. We can suffer for his glory as well. Christ was, was suffered. Christians suffer. We're on a broken blue marble where there's, there's, there's pain and sorrow. These Christians were marched onto the shores of the Mediterranean. They were beheaded. Another 31 of them were shot. Professing Christians. So does that mean that that's double jeopardy for them? Try going to the 1040 window where the, the, the lion's share of, of the Islamic world resides and talk to your Christian brothers and sisters and say, hey, you're not gonna go through the tribulation. Really? That doesn't dismiss my position of eschatology. But to say that we're, we're not gonna face a tribulation, it's, it, it, it's not a, a tenet of the Christian faith that is necessary for me to be a Christian to get this one right. There's opposing views. I hold to one, others hold to another, but it's a tertiary position in the body of Christ. I can still be orthodox and hold a different position on eschatology. You don't call someone an idiot or a heretic. He's addressing the fact that they're using eschatology. Eric is addressing the fact, Benjamin Thomas is addressing the fact that folks use their eschatology to justify apathy. I've given you the statistics, you know that it exists. I love the idea of a rapture. It comes out of 1 Thessalonians chapter four, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. It's powerful. You just, you're like, where'd Rob go? <laughs> It'd be more like Rob going, where did Michelle go? <laughs> yeah, this scares me. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Many, though not all Christians, believe the Bible teaches that there will be an important seven-year period of history before the Battle of Armageddon and the triumphant return of Christ. The debate, the debate about this catching away centers on where it fits in with this final seven-year period, popularly known as the Great Tribulation with reference to Matthew 24, 21. The pre-tribulation rapture position believes that believers are caught up before this final seven-year period. The mid-tribulation rapture position believes believers are caught up in the midst of this final seven-year period. The pre-wrath rapture position believes believers are caught up at some time in the second half of the final seven-year period. And the post-tribulation rapture position believes believers are caught up at the end of this final seven-year period. And there's some that don't even hold to that that are still orthodox. And then he says at the end, 
When people convert to Christ, culture will change, but that's not our job. Well, first of all, he invokes the, the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Here's the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on the earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. He didn't say make converts. He said make disciples. And he didn't just say make disciples of the world. He said of all nations. Why? Because nations have boundaries, borders, compacts, constitutions, and ideologies. You're contending for your neighbor's welfare. That's the great commandment of the Lord. Does that make you a dominionist? Baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. To obey all things I commanded you. Fascinating that we began with, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not, for there have if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. The law doesn't save. Then why do we have the Decalogue, the moral law that dictates the civil laws we saw in Deuteronomy that influenced our founders? Why is God speaking through Paul in relation to this law? The scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our guardian, our teacher to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith, that after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. I conclude with this, that again on the facade of our Supreme Court building is Moses holding the Ten Commandments. Well, that's some dominionism there. And he's saying this moral law will dictate the civil law of the nation. And Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and of Herod, which is civil law apart from moral law. Because mankind, whether the king class or the priestly class, will, will use the common man as a saddle to ride. And that's where we are today. The globalists are pitting us against one another and they're causing the church to devour itself with titles that the left has given us to kill each other with. No. No. We endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. It's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual praises, making melody in your heart. Pastor Holdhouse is a good man. Eric Metaxas is a good man. I don't know Benjamin Thomas, but he appears to me to be a good man, and love hopes all things. And before we devour one another with this autoimmune disease that's been introduced by the secular left, to attack each other with these labels given to us by the secular left, these weapons to devour ourselves. We have to remember we are the entirety of the body of Christ. We have to endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Pastor Holdhouse, I wanna challenge you right now. 
and I, I make you a promise, and you can see this right now. I will give you a sit down with Eric Metaxas. You're going to appreciate this man. I know him to be reasonable, and any accusations or concerns, give him the ability, according to Matthew 18, that you could win your brother. Come and sit with him. I know he'll do it. I stake my reputation on that. And Eric, Pastor Holdhouse is a good man. And what he said, he's passionate about eschatology. And, and granted, we don't like apathy that results from people who misuse eschatology, but that doesn't mean we're going to attack someone else's eschatology. Pastor Holdhouse is a good man. And I encourage the two of you to get together and let's resolve this because not only is the body of Christ at stake, so is this nation. I went long on time, I'm sorry, I'm nine minutes late. If you'd stand, I'd like to pray for you and then let you dismiss and then you can rush the bathrooms. <laughs> Thank you all for in, in enduring that. It's, it's important to me um, just for, for folks to be able to see that and be able to articulate, and thanks for letting me have that time. Lord, thank you for this precious congregation and the folks who call this home, though they, they tune in from afar. Lord, thank you for your word, which is true. Thank you for the shepherds of the body of Christ. Lord, bless my, my brother and my friend, Pastor Holdhouse. Bless my brother and my friend, Eric Metaxas. Lord, I pray that the two of them would endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and that this rift would be mended and Lord, we thank you that in this season where the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and divide, and conquer, may we endeavor to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Lord, thank you for this precious congregation who understands that and their fervent, faithful prayers as they afford me and so many others to traverse this nation in seeking to bring that awakening and that unity. Bless them, Lord, as they've blessed us, I pray. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.